0: Chapter eight of Black Oxen by Gertrude Atherton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter eight. Tommy-rot. Don't believe a word of it. Mary's mother was one of the Thornhills. Don't believe there ever was a Virginia branch. But I'll soon find out. Also about this Joseph Zattiany. That girl is Mary Ogden's daughter. They were seated in a corner of Mr. Dinwiddie's favorite club where they had met by appointment. Clavering shrugged his shoulders. He had no intention of communicating his own doubts. "'But you'll dine there tonight, "'Won't I? And I'll keep my ears open.' Clavering privately thought that the Countess Joseph Zattiany would be more than a match for him, but replied, "'After all, what does it matter? She is a beautiful and charming woman, and no doubt you'll have a very good dinner.' "'That's all very well as far as it goes,' "'But I've never been so interested in my life. "'Of course, if she's Mary's daughter, "'I'll do anything to befriend her. "'That is, if she'll be honest enough to admit it. "'But I don't like all this lying and pretense.' "'I think your terms are too strong. "'There have been extraordinary resemblances before "'in the history of the world. "'Doubles, for instance, where there was no known relationship. "'Rather remarkable there are enough faces to go round.' "'and she confesses to be of the same family. "'At all events, you must admit "'that she has not made use of her alibi "'to force her way into society. "'Probably knows her alibi won't stand the strain. "'The women would soon ferret out the truth. "'What I'm afraid of "'is that she's got this power of attorney out of Mary "'when the poor girl was too weak to resist, "'and is over here to corral the entire fortune. "'But surely, Judge Trent oh trent he's a fool where women are concerned always was and now he's got to the stage where he can't sit beside a girl without pawing her they won't have him in the house of course this lovely creature's got him under her thumb i'll see him today and give him a piece of my mind for the lies he's told me and if this girl has inherited her mother's brains she's equal to anything i thought that your mary was composite perfection never said anything of the sort didn't i tell you she always kept us guessing i sometimes used to think that if it hadn't been for her breeding and the standards that involves and her wealth and position she'd have made a first-class adventuress was she a good liar she was insolently truthful but i'm certain she wouldn't have hesitated at a whopping lie if it would have served her purpose she was certainly rusee. well the dinner should be highly interesting with all these undercurrents I'll call for you at a quarter past eight. I must run now and do my column. Clavering, often satirical and ironic, was positively brutal that afternoon. The latest play, book, moving picture, the inefficiency of the New York police, his afflicting correspondence, were hacked to the bone. When he had finished, his jangling nerves were unaccountably soothed. Other nerves would shriek next morning. Let em He'd been honest enough, and if he chose to use a battle-axe instead of Toledo steel, that was his privilege. He called down for a messenger-boy, and strolled to the window to soothe his nerves still further. Dusk had fallen. Every window of the high stone building surrounding Madison Square was an oblong of light. It was a symphony of grey and gold, of which he never tired. It invested business with romance and beauty. The men behind those radiant panels, thinking of nothing less, made their brief contribution to the beauty of the world, transported the rapt spectator to a realm of pure loveliness. A light fall of snow lay on the grass and benches, the statues and trees of the square. Motors were flashing and honking below and over on Fifth Avenue. The roar of the great city came up to him like a flood over a broken dam black masses were pouring toward the subways. Life! New York was the epitome of life. He enjoyed forcing his way through those moving masses, but it interested him even more to feel above, aloof, as he did this evening. Those tides swept on as unconscious of the watchers so high above them, as of the soaring beauty of the Metropolitan Tower. Groundhogs, most of them but part of the ever-changing, ever-fascinating Metropolitan pageant. The arcade of Madison Square Garden was already packed with men, and he knew that a triple line reached down 26th Street to 4th Avenue. There was to be a prize fight tonight, and the men had stood there since noon, buying apples and peanuts from peddlers. This was Tuesday, and there was no half-holiday. These men appeared to have unbounded leisure, while the rest of the city toiled or demanded work but they were always warmly dressed and indubitably well fed. They belonged to what is vaguely known as the Sporting Fraternity, and were invariably in funds, although they must have existed with the minimum of work. The army of unemployed was hardly larger, and certainly no bread-line was ever half as long. Mounted police rode up and down to avert any anticipation of the night's battle a loud barking murmur rose and mingled with the roar of the avenues. The great clock of the Metropolitan Tower began to play those sad and sweetly ominous notes preliminary to booming out the hour. They always reminded him of the warning bell on the wild and rocky coast with something of the Lorelei in its cadences, like a heartless woman's subtle allure, poignantly difficult to resist. There was a knock on the door. Clavering gave his daily stint to the messenger boy. He was hunting for change when he recaptured his column, sat down at his desk, and, running it over hastily, inserted the word, authentic. New York must have its word, even as its topic. Authentic, loosed upon the world by Arnold Bennett, was the rage at present. The little writers hardly dared use it. It was, as it were, the trademark of the sophisticates. The boy, superior, indifferent, and chewing gum, accepted his tip and departed. Clavering returned to the window. Gone was the symphony of gold and grey. The buildings surrounding the square were a dark and formless mass in the heavy dusk. Only the streetlights below shone like globular phosphorescence on a dark and turbulent sea. Two hours later he left his hotel and walked up Madison Avenue, twenty-sixth street was deserted and as littered with papers peanut shells and various other debris as a picnic train the mounted police had disappeared from the great building came the first roar of the thousands assembled whether in approval or the reverse it would be difficult to determine they roared upon the slightest pretext and they would roar steadily until half-past ten or eleven when they would burst out of every exit rending the night with their yells while a congested mass of motors and taxicabs shrieked and honked and squealed and coughed and then abruptly the silence of death would fall upon what is now a business quarter where only an occasional hotel or little old brownstone house sole reminder of a vanished past when madison square was the centre of fashion lingered between the towering masses of concrete and steel End of chapter eight